cannot manufacture. True, godly peace. It comes from above and flows down to me, Lord, through your Spirit. And Lord, and I need this peace today because the world is, well, Lord, we know. The world is against me. It is not for me. Lord, and I must not be for them. I must be for you. Lord, I must be for you and your will and your way. And in doing so, love those around me. But because you have loved me first and you placed that love inside of me, that gave me the ability to love others. Lord, First Timothy says to live in peace with all people. And that's challenged many times by the flesh. So help us, Lord. Help us this morning to manufacture, Lord, peace. To harvest peace. To pick up this manna, Lord, that falls from heaven. And consume, Lord, and be nourished by you. We thank you, Lord, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The harvest of righteousness. There's a beauty to the harvest. We're about to experience it with our fall festival, where they would come together. And unlike us, who have the benefits and the blessings of Walmart and Publix, they could not just go buy that which they were going to share. They brought it out of their own sweat, out of the ground, and shared it with their neighbors. The harvest of peace and the use of the harvest imagery here by James is very specific. And he calls back to the days of old when manna would fall from heaven. And you would go gather and pick up that which you could not even get out of the ground, that which you could not grow, that only came from God. Many people want to know what manna tasted like. The images of honey and that sweet taste coming to mind as if we could still maybe get a bite somehow and taste it. But church, I say to you that manna does fall from heaven even now. And the Holy Spirit picks it up for you and gives it to you. And one of those blessings from heaven is peace. In a time when maybe your life feels like it's the opposite of peace, you feel like, where is the peace? How can I get some? Even now, the Caribbean has spun up a storm to disrupt my peace. Go to Matthew chapter 9. The harvest is a mighty work, and it, is, and it is raining from heaven all the time. And the only thing lacking is we who should go out and participate in this harvest. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds that were coming, so many diseased and afflicted, verse 36, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So let's back up to verse 35. Jesus is going through all the cities and villages. That's work. He's not being flown or chauffeured. He is walking to all these little towns, and he's walking through the desert most of the time. He's teaching in their synagogues. This would be similar to a pastor or preacher walking to the next town over tomorrow and preaching there, walking to the next town beyond that, preaching there, and making a circuit going around. This is extremely taxing and, and exhausting work, but he's doing it to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and heal every disease and every affliction. And the crowds are coming because they're diseased. 
They have afflictions. They are hurt. They're in pain. They're dying. They're leprous. They're lame. And they know Jesus can heal them. And when he saw these crowds, he had compassion for them. His divine holiness, which will destroy the wicked on judgment day, which will cast away those who rejected and hated him and hated his people. Here is shown in his compassion because he loves these people and he so desperately wants to heal them. He wants to take care of them. And he does. Because our Savior is not a weak Savior who tries hard. Our Savior is a mighty warrior who accomplishes what God has sent him to do. It's often said that there is peace only after the battle. That we must war before we make peace. And I would say that is most likely true. We see it in Scripture over and over again. Even the great battles of Revelation are followed by the peace of God's kingdom. And there should be a battle in you. We should battle against the flesh. We should battle against the sin. We should battle against temptation that would cause us to give up the path of holiness and fall into the wayside of darkness. We are harassed and helpless. And make no mistake, church, we are not harassed so much on the outside, but rather from the inside of the flesh. Our helplessness is our sheep-like ability to go so far astray because we lack a shepherd. So Jesus turns to his disciples. They're looking at this scene. These people, leaderless, lost, dying. He looks at this and he says to the men, he says to them, the harvest is plentiful. There is no lack of people to minister to. There is no lack of service to do. There is no lack of need. And you'll find this out. Come and sit in the church office someday and just listen to me answer the phone. There's no lack of need. There's no lack of service. And it's distressing sometimes because you want to go in two different directions at once and do everything for everyone, but you can't. This harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus knew the problem the postmodern 21st century American church would have 2,000 years before. The laborers are few. And why are the laborers few? It's easy to beat you up at this point. But I'll say this. Most people have been taught to follow and not to lead. Not to lead. And you are taught to follow Jesus Christ. And he has given you ministries. Paul says in Corinthians, a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of the gospel, a ministry of peace. If the laborers are few, then why are we not galvanizing the laborers? Why are we not saying, hey, come with me? We're doing it in two weeks at the D-Now. We're doing it in a month at the Fall Festival. We're going to do it through the growth track. We're going to turn few into many by doing what God said to do. And this is not a new idea. There are no new ideas under the sun, Ecclesiastes says. And this is not a new model. You can repackage it. You can call it whatever you'd like. But it's just doing what Jesus did. He loved God. He loved his neighbor. The harvest is plentiful, and it is plentiful. But it is also plentiful in joy and peace. Like the Old Testament, God rains these things down from heaven, and we have but only to trust him and go out and gather what he has provided. Why leave the manna of peace rotting outside your house? Why not go out and begin to gather which God has sent you? Could it be that we've bought into certain theologies that tell me I don't have to? Could it be that maybe you're so tired from the harvest and the service that you want someone else to? Could it be that in fact you are so weary that you simply want to sit and not even move? 
And I understand even the studying of many books brings many wearisome days, Ecclesiastes says. It is weary to go out and harvest. It is tiring. Anybody who's ever farmed can tell you that. That's why he says in verse 38, pray earnestly. We don't make new laborers by going and rounding up people and telling them, hey, you're a laborer now. They'll be like, huh, what? Come with me. They're not going to go with you. And even if they do, they won't know what to do. They have to be supplied from heaven the same way the manna is supplied from heaven. The harvest is supplied from heaven. So we must pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. God, send us the laborers that will match the need that you've given us. Let's actually trust God instead of having to constantly think we have to do it ourselves because that robs your peace. If I actually thought that it was up to me to make this church service holy and special for you, I would have already given up. Because I can't. I can't. Only God can do that for you. So we pray and we trust Him to do this work that He said He would do. We pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into this great harvest. Church, I think that's us. I think it's you. This is why I'm so excited about these three major things we have going on. The growth track, the Dinao, the fall festival. From every age group, there's a place to be a laborer, to go out into the harvest and do it with joy. It doesn't have to be such a taxing work. It doesn't have to be such a sorrowful time when we start from the right origin, and that's praying earnestly. Pray earnestly. I love that phrase, pray earnestly. Do it truthfully. Don't have an agenda. Don't have, God, if you do this for me, I'll go out and harvest. No, Lord, I am your servant. Speak, and your servant hears, and your servant will obey. Prayer makes us ready for the harvest. God tells us where and when and what to reap. Where does God want you to harvest? And not you plural, but you singular. Where does God want you to harvest? Because it's not going to be the same exact place I am. It's not going to be the same place for someone next to you. And we're really good about that as Christians. We're so good at looking at something that's successful and saying, we either got to replicate that and do it exactly here, even though that's not exactly what God might want, or we say, well, someone else is already doing it, might as well quit. But no, God has given you a ministry, you a harvest, you singular. What is it? Have you prayed about it? Have you thought about it? Have you, have you engaged with the scriptures about what you're supposed to do? Time would fail me. We'd be in here longer than a Pentecostal church if I started talking about every single one of your ministries and all that you do that just I know about. It's no slide on the Pentecostals. Have your four-hour service. God bless you. Amen. Do it. But time would fail me to tell of all the ministries that just go on amongst you. We'd be here till tomorrow. The end of John says that everything Jesus did and said all the books of the world could not contain that what he didn't say. Now how in 33 years could Jesus have done enough to fill up books that would fill the world? In physical, fleshly terms, doesn't make sense. But in spiritual terms, th- just take one example. The leper he heals in Mark 1 who can't be quiet, he has to go out and start shouting about what Jesus did. How many people heard just that leper? Do you see to the exponent power, the effect Jesus has? 
And Jesus has given you this power. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, He has given you the ability to cause others to say, I got to tell people about Jesus. Somebody served me and now I got to serve as well because Jesus sent them to help me and now I have to go do the same thing. Church, you don't multiply by telling them about you. You multiply by telling them about Jesus Christ. This harvest is many and the laborers are few. What is your harvest? Pray that God would show you where your harvest is, what your harvest is, when your harvest is, and how your harvest is. When I talk about events, if we don't put in all that information, people will go, hey, a fall festival sounds nice. When is it? We tell them, and they go, well, where is it? We tell them, how is it? How are we going to even do that? And you tell them, if we don't have all that information, we're not going to accomplish that ministry. And you have to know these things for your harvest. You have to know how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, and probably the most important one, the why. I'll quote my old doctoral advisor, Tom Johnson. What is the why that makes you cry? What makes you passionate? What gets you excited in God's kingdom? What has God specifically placed in you, the gifts that you need to accomplish the vision he's given you? And Christian, I dare say, and this might be the most you know, taxing thing I say to you this morning, if you haven't started yet, don't descend into the feelings of despair that you're not good enough. Don't do it. If you feel like you haven't started yet, now is the time. Right now is the day your ministry can start. So don't, don't despair. Don't give up. Don't go, well, everyone else does it better and I don't do anything. I don't know what to do. Don't. We have no shortage of need. The harvest has no shortage. There is a place for you. Come with us. Come with us and help us. In fact, we need you. Because if it's, it's what God is doing, we need it. He goes on, and this is my second point. It's a harvest of righteousness. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God will supply all the needs we have for this harvest of righteousness. Paul is instructing the Corinthian church for the second time. He is helping them understand how to produce, how to reap for the kingdom of God. In chapter 9, verse 10, he begins with the harvest. Verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. Now, I love this little phrase Paul puts in here because it sounds like a, a series that I made up. Supply and multiply. That sounds like a church growth curriculum that I wrote, doesn't it? Supply and multiply. And I love the idea because we typically and rightly give a lot of dignity to the apostles. But sometimes in our minds, they can kind of take on a monkish type of look, right? Where Paul is you know, chanting in Latin or something, you know? In nomina sacra, nomina non. Right? He's not doing that. He's writing a personal letter to this church that he loves, and he's saying, guys, you got to supply and multiply. You have to get ready for sowing and increasing of the harvest because righteousness is coming. But where does it come from? Where does supply and multiply start? Does it start with us? It can't start with us. It has to start with God. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So the enriching takes place in the church, in the body of believers. It takes place when you pray. It takes place when you read God's word. This enriching of your soul is the very presence of God. And it enriches you not to contain it within yourself. John chapter 4 says you can't. That wellspring is going to come out. But to be generous in every way, which through this generosity will produce thanksgiving to God. And why is thanksgiving so important? Because it's one of the best aspects of our worship. Because I'm thankful to God. And it's not because he lifted me out of the fires of hell. It's not just because he saved me from sin. It's not just because I have joy in his presence. I'm thankful to God because God is God. See, God doesn't need a reason to be worshipped. If the only reason we're worshipping is because it was saving us, that's still a little bit about me. We've got to get to that place where my thanksgiving to God is just because He's God. You are enriched and, and made generous, and this will produce thanksgiving. Are you being enriched? There's the old classic cliche, right, of like, why'd you, why'd you leave that church? Well, I just wasn't being fed, you know. And that may be true sometimes, I don't know. You must be enriched at church. And if you're not, I would maybe say, maybe, maybe you do need to go somewhere else. That's okay. But enriching doesn't just happen at church. It happens in your presence, reading the scripture, when you break open God's word, when you engage with him in prayer, when you go into that prayer closet in secret and sit before the presence of God. This is what we need. Because this makes me generous. I'm only generous in the spirit because of the spirit. Without the presence of God, I'd be doing for me and mine, and that's it. We see it every day. We're about to see it. If you have not yet bought water and gasoline, I would do so after church. <laughs> because the lack of generosity is coming. We all I just saw where the state of Florida yesterday had to put the anti-price gouging law in effect. Because without God, we're not generous. We're the opposite. We're selfish. We want for us. And remember, James, as I often remind you, is writing to a group of people who were cast out into the desert. They don't have a lot to begin with already. But he's telling them to be Genesis. Paul is telling these small churches who are, who are growing and planting, who don't have a lot, to be generous and give away what they have. Because this produces thanksgiving. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service. This is important now. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. We supply the needs of the saints. We do our best to take care of people. Dare I say, we even do our best to try to make them a little happy. But that's not the main reason. That is not the main effort. That's not the main goal. That is not the, the final aspect of this ministry. It is supplying the needs of the saints, but not only supplying, it is the overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. We supply needs so that people, when their needs are met and they're satisfied, can actually turn and worship the one who gave them their satisfaction. That's why God tells us constantly to feed the poor. Because somebody who's hungry can't learn, much less think, much less worship. See, when that belly's growling, then they need their needs met and then they can start to be taught to worship. Because the point is overflowing in thanksgivings. That's what God is doing. 
That's what all the churches are being brought together for. That's why we're being built together, knitted together in Christ, so that we can accomplish one singular goal, to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the purpose. And these thanksgivings to God, they are not out of a selfish place. They can't be. They're out of the gifting that the Holy Spirit gives himself. We are enriched to help others. But more important is the thanksgiving that is given to God. The saints cannot achieve thanksgiving until their needs are supplied. This is where we, who are mature, work to supply needs, but not needs only. Because the harvest of thanksgiving is glorifying to God, and it's a blessing to His people, and that is what we want to do. Think about our fall festival. We're going to have a great time with candied apples and hot dogs and candy. But even more important is the visitor who experiences a taste of the love feast of God. More important is the one who hasn't been in a, a long time and made to feel welcome. More important is that God looks down from heaven on October 29th at 4 p.m. and says, good job. Good job. You made it about me. And that's why it was good. Our third and final point, another reason this sermon is peaceful is it's not that long. <laughs> Our third and final point is peace itself. If you would, turn to John 16, 33. I say not that long. I'm not finished with the first page yet, so. John 16, 33, some of the most comforting and peaceful words Jesus says to us. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Now, this is a huge point, especially for those of us with children. Be careful that you do not raise your, your children in church instead of in Christ. Because in Him you will have peace. In Him you will have joy. In Him you will have maturity. And in Him you will have salvation. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Christians, we have no reason to be confused by struggle. Jesus clearly just said it. There's only two places to be, in him or in the world. But take heart. Don't despair. Don't fall into misery. Don't give up. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I love that Greek word there for overcome. You can translate it many ways into English. Will not destroy, will not grasp, will not, will not take. Jesus will not be overtaken or destroyed by the world. In fact, it is the opposite. He has overcome the world. John chapter 1, the darkness can't even comprehend him, can't overcome him. This is why we can take heart, because I want peace, but I have tribulation. What do I do? I take heart because my Savior, who has not left me, who is preparing a place for me, who will return for me, has already overcome the world that is putting me in tribulation. Jesus has already overcome the very flesh you're living in right now. 
See, that's included in there. Remember, the world is not some arbitrary group somewhere else that's mean. The world is my flesh. And Jesus has overcome even me. And that's huge, Christians. We've got we to gotta learn that. We've got, we got to demonstrate that to the world. For too long, the stereotype of our church, not Joppa, but just the church, has been you know, a bunch of perfect people in there do everything right. They need to know that, no, my Savior overcame me. I was the obstacle in the thing that he cast away. My flesh and my sin and my temptations, that's what my Savior overcame. Jesus' instruction in these things was intended to sustain and to give peace. Believers have a dual existence. They are in Christ, but they are also in the world, and we are physically here. In union with Jesus, the disciples have peace, and the world exerts a hostile pressure upon them. The world system, the enemy of God and his people, are opposed to Jesus and his message and his ministry. The world is full of tribulation and trouble, persecutions, divisions, calamities, death. But Jesus comforts us by his power, which overcomes the world's evil, and it overcomes the evil that is even in you. This is a peaceful thing to learn that I am the problem because it actually has an effect. If I keep myself in the belief that it really is some other people somewhere else, then I'll stay in my flesh. I'll stay in my temptations. I'll even convince myself that my temptations and my sin are somehow godly. It's a delusion that many Christians do fall into. But if I recognize the truth, that there is none good, no, not one, as Paul quotes in Romans, that there is none who can come to God and say, look how good I am, Lord, don't you want me in heaven with you? Won't heaven just be better with me there? There's an old joke that I like. A man said that I would never want to join a club that would be willing to have me as a member. <laughs> and that's true about heaven, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm a sinner. In heaven there is no sin, so how could I get in? I have to be covered. My sin washed away. And what is this covering? What is this washing? First it's the blood of Christ, then it's the water of the word that cleanses me. And no longer will I get into a club that would be willing to have me as a member. I'm getting to a place where they're willing to have Christ. And with Christ in me and covering me, that is the one God will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why is that singular? Why isn't it servants? Because of Jesus Christ. He's the one we need. This word for overcome, I conquer, I prevail, I win, even has a thought of battle, the, the, the victorious general. I think about the Romans. This is another famous quote. The Romans, when they would come back from a successful siege with their legions, they would ride through the streets, but often there would be a servant next to the general who was being honored to whisper into his ear, all glory is fleeting. They didn't want their generals to be stuck up and think they were invincible. It's the best way to lose. But there is going to be one victorious general, one leader, who's going to ride one more time while being honored and praised. And there will be no one to whisper into his ear, this glorious fleeting. Our Savior will ride back on a white horse. He first rode on a donkey. 
But now he comes back victorious. And who's he coming for? He's coming for you, those who he overcame. Your flesh, your sin, the world, the enemies of God, he overcame for you. This is why we take heart and we can be courageous. For Christ has conquered. Christ has prevailed. He has won. He has overcome the evil, the powers of darkness, and even our sins. Trust in him today and reap this harvest of peace in your life. If you would, go to Hebrews chapter 13. I told you, last, last week I was burdened and the scripture was, was heavy. But this week, I mean, I feel light. I feel like I'm floating on the stage. Because God has just made this so peaceful for me, and I hope it's peaceful for you. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. My flesh is tempted to go on another 20 minutes about that verse. But I feel the Spirit telling me, and through study this week, that if you would, consider it homework. Take this text and go home today and before you start your workday tomorrow. And consider these words. Let's read it again, but just a little slower, a little more peaceful. Maybe, maybe think this to yourself as you drift off to a gentle sleep tonight. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, your Savior is not in that grave. Your Savior has not been destroyed. Your Savior is not wrapped in darkness. Your Savior is alive. From the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Is he not a great shepherd? Does he not lead by still waters? Does he not protect you with staff and rod in the valley of the shadow of death? By the blood of the eternal covenant, that which God started before he even created the world, he is going to finish. In this covenant that he has made with you, that he bought and paid for you with the blood of his son, He's going to finish. Because this covenant will not end. It is eternal. No one will break it. Satan cannot work against it. All the powers of hell cannot bring it down. And in verse 21, it will equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Isn't that what you want, Christian? You want to do good? And you want to know that God is in heaven saying, yes, yes. This is working in us. So it's pleasing in his sight. Think back to when you were a small child and your parents gave you a little responsibility and you accomplished it. And they came in and they said, good job. Your first time when you started out your career, you had your first little project, you had to do all on your own. And the boss came around and said, good job. How nice it is to have our work appraised and thought well of. How much better is the creator, is the savior, 
is the Holy Spirit looking down from heaven and pleased. I want God to be pleased with me. That gives me more peace than anything else. The times when I do something by God's leading and I know, I know from Scripture that God was in heaven pleased with that. Do you know when it most often happens? When it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Him. It's pleasing in His sight, and all of this is through Jesus Christ, to whom? Notice, not I, not you, not any great ministry or any great preacher. To whom, Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word amen means, let it be so. So church, let this be so for us as we harvest peace today. And as we gather this manna that has peacefully fallen from heaven, we can remember that it is to bring glory to our Savior forever and ever. And one day in glory, we will stand before him and we will do just that. Glorified forever and ever. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would bring this harvest of peace. That you would help us know, Lord, that there are times, like last Sunday, when the scripture needs to cut us, needs to go all the way to bone. But Lord, there are sweet times like today where you have applied the warm medicine, the warm bandage. Lord, you have healed that which no one else could heal. You have rained peace like manna from heaven and called us to go out and harvest. And all we lack is the faith to do so. Lord, if faith like a mustard seed can make a mountain jump, then I know the faith I have can get me through the harvest. And no matter how hard the sun beats down or how much the tribulation of the world screams in my ear, I can continue to work and trust that this glory that is going to this Savior will last forever and ever. I thank you so much, Lord, and I ask you to bless these people now. Lord, let them not despair, even if right now they've realized they're not harvesting yet. That's okay. But Lord, galvanize them. Put the presence of your Spirit in them to go out. For this harvest is many, and the laborers are few. We need their help. So help them, Lord Jesus, to go out and begin to serve you. We thank you for this peace. And we ask you now as we sing this last song to grant it to our hearts. And let us leave in love, in joy, and in peace. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.